You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matias, and me, Sharky James. Brian, it's episode two. We made it. We have officially doubled our output of episodes. They said it wouldn't happen. That's true. And you know what? Let me actually, I, I, I do want to take a second, Sharky, because for those who have, you know, we had a, a really nice response, right, Sharky? We had, we had some good, good number of people tuning in. And for those that don't know, so that was our first attempt, obviously, it was our first episode. And Sharky, I want to give you, you know, huge thanks because you stayed up for, I don't know how, like a, an entire night straight kind of cutting up the audio and the video and stuff. So, um, you know, thanks a lot for that. I really do appreciate that. No problem. It's insane. When you record on Google Plus Hangouts, you're going over the internet. What I learned the hard way last week was when the audio and video gets garbled, it stretches things out so it doesn't match our audio tracks. So that was a little bit crazy, but I think it worked out. Yeah. I mean, I was super happy with it. And, you know, it's just one of those things. I want to give you a little bit of a little bit of props. All right. Enough patting ourselves on the back. Right. Yeah. We've got a show to do. Let's get into the show. Well, before we get to that, I, I want to thank everybody that has come over. It's crazy. Just in the in the first day, we did more downloads of that episode than it took me eight months plus to get to there with my original show. And we did it in like a day. That's awesome. And so, you know, that's I'd like to thank everybody for that. So if you haven't hit subscribe yet, go ahead and do that right now. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're now on uh, iTunes and we are in the Google Play Store and syndicating pretty much anywhere in any podcast feed. So I think let's start by I want to tell people what they should or can expect with this show before we just dive in, because um, we both saw that <laughs> we, <laughs> we're getting great responses, but there is this one there's one review in iTunes and that's great. It's a, it's like a one star review. Cool. No problem. We take the good with the bad, but I, I don't know that the um, person necessarily understood what we're trying to do here. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what, what is the no name photo show in terms of, I kind of see it as us just talking about things going on in photo and tech, but like in a way that's not newsy, like we are probably going to, you know, say some things that are from the heart and may, you know, a lot of people might disagree with or stuff, but what is your take on this, Sharky? Like I said last episode, when I created my original show, it was news-based, fast-paced, everything that rhymes with aced, I guess. I don't know. It was not to be a two guys in their basement chit-chat show. And that's what we're doing right now. You're <laughs> yeah. actually literally in your basement. I'm on the first floor in my home office. And uh, so this show is going to evolve. It's going to be pithy. It's going to be fun. We're going to make mistakes. It's not highly edited like my show is, you know, there's only so many ways you can do it, like we said. So now here's here's what, what I want to talk about. The other day, Nicole, my wife, Nicole Young, she's a photographer. She runs a Facebook group. Uh, I think it's a private group. It's, it's like an on-one help group. You know, on-one, they make photo editing software. And she was telling me about these people who were just, um, they were just complaining every time, like on-one would make an update or something, and then they would just complain about, um, the performance of the software on their computers. And so I, I, I asked, like, do you have any idea what kind of computers or operating systems or anything? And she'd say, oh, they're running like, you know, one of them was running a Windows XP machine or a Windows 7, you know, three or four years old. And this is what bothers me, Sharky, like really, really gets under my skin. And, and it's because, um, you know, working at On1 and working, working at Google, working on the other side of watching the engineers build the stuff, 
you know, I find like, I feel like on one hand, you've got these people, you've got a person who has absolutely no problem dropping, you know, anywhere from two to four grand on, you know, a 42 megapixel camera that outputs these big fat raw files. And then, but they don't, they don't, they assume that just because the camera can output such a big file, their computer should just be able to handle it. And the software that they're running should just be able to handle it fine. And this is what bothers me. You know, if you follow my show and you do, I do. I've been complaining about Lightroom for coming up on three years now. It doesn't matter what system you run Lightroom on. That, in my opinion, it's slow. And in the opinion of many people. But I get what you're saying here. If you're going, let's say you're going from the D810 to the D850 that was just announced. And the D850 looks great. You know, I've given Nikon a lot of crap in the last couple of years too. But that looks like a winner. The D810 was 36 megapixels. The D850 is just shy of 46. So mm-hmm. you're getting a 10, that's a 10 megapixel bump. Think about when we shot 10 megapixel cameras. Yeah. Right. And so now I remember when the 5D Mark III came out and a lot of people are like, whoa, I need to upgrade my computer because those are huge files. And now it's like nothing to have 36 megapixel images, you know, 46 now. You have to be realistic. You're going to have to upgrade your computer if you want the performance. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait. But here's the thing. So you're a professional photographer. You do pretty well. Okay. I do pretty well. Yep. Your average photographer, I, I think out there, you know, they're struggling to make ends meet because the photography business is rough these days. And it might, you know, the D850 is going to be like 3300 bucks or something. So you're putting out 3300 bucks for a brand new camera, you don't necessarily have two, $3,000 to have a stocked you know, iMac or a couple thousand bucks for a Windows system. You might have to make do with the computer you have. So I think it's, I hear what you're saying. and But I think people just need to be realistic about the performance they're going to have pushing huger files through huger. their current system. Huger. 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 More huge. More huge. Ginormous. Yeah. It, larger it, files. Embiggened. No, and so I agree with you. And you said something that that, that I want to bring up, and that's I think the person who budgets to get a new camera with, say, a 35 or 46 megapixel sensor, they don't think about it. Doesn't cross their mind about how that impact. Forget about the the hard drive space. You know the the, the increase of those raw files, but I I don't I. Personally, I genuinely do not think that very many people think about the tax, the performance tax that they're going to get hit with, with those huge files. And that is, when you couple that with an expectation that, oh, well, I I bought this software, I bought this or that, and it installs on my computer, fine. You know, I think there's this built-in expectation that it should just, it should work fast or it should work as fast as it used to with my old, you know, 15 megapixel files. And as far as Lightroom goes, that's a different story um, because I agree with you there. It's there's, there are, there's one, one way to look at it in terms of the expectations, the unreasonable expectations on the side of the consumer, you know, the photographer who just, I bought this camera. I want my everything to work fast. Then there's the side of the, the, the software development and Adobe should be shamed of themselves for um, taking this long, you know, I'm running an iMac. This is the current gen iMac, you know, with Thunderbolt 3 maxed out, 64 gigs of RAM, all the good stuff. And it is painful to use Lightroom. And it's not because of the computer. I mean, I, I no. dropped good money. 
It's okay. they're using a 2012 infrastructure. If you go to the file version at the bottom right, 2012 is the most recent one. It's embarrassing at this point. And I've been giving them their knocks for years now, like I said. And early on, people gave me so much crap about that. They're like, no, it's fine. And then over time, I think people have come on board. Lightroom is slow. You're going to you're going to be hard pressed to find anybody. Listen, if you think Lightroom runs decently, you're probably only shooting like a 12 megapixel camera, right? If you're using larger files, it's just, it's, I'd say almost useless. I love Luminar. Have you used Luminar before? MacFun Luminar? I haven't installed, but, and Nicole's been working on it for a while, but I, I haven't used it extensively. It doesn't have damn digital asset management in it yet, like Lightroom, but it's fun to use. And the fun factor, I think, it's, listen, you know, you're not gonna be like, whoa, this is great. I'm processing files. You know, it has to be enjoyable. Lightroom has not become enjoyable. I, as much as I give Adobe crap for Lightroom being so darn slow, I want to stay in Lightroom. It's what I know. I've got hundreds of thousands of images in there. I want to continue using it, but they need to rewrite that program. I don't think you can speed it up otherwise. It's using a, a completely, it's using old bloated code, in my opinion. It's, it's crazy slow. I don't even, it doesn't take advantage. Like their solution is turn off hardware acceleration. We should be using hardware acceleration. That's why we have these fancy computers, right? Absolutely. I mean, the, and they have touted over the past few, few releases how they were moving some more of their developed controls to the GPU, which is all about hardware graphics acceleration. But, uh, you know, from, from that end, I, I'm with you too. Like I've tried, the, the problem is time really like, I have Capture One Pro uh, 10 installed, and I just, you know, you, you after spending so many years in one program like Lightroom, in a way, it's it's you're you're kind of um, failing by your own design. Like if I had just taken the time, or if I just take the time to learn Capture One, arguably I've I've read nothing but good or heard nothing but good things about it in terms of speed, in terms of uh, handling color, especially when so with Sony RAW files because I shoot Sony. Um, I just, if I just take a couple of weeks and really get, you know, familiar with it, then I can abandon. But for me, the whole Lightroom stuff where it really shines for me is with mobile. Yeah. Oh, it's I have nothing but great things to say about Lightroom mobile. Yeah. They and- nailed it with that because they just, it's only been out for a few years now, right? So Lightroom is so old. I call it grandpa Lightroom. Yeah. Right. We have a debate on whether or not it's turtle or snail slow. Choose. It's kind of like about the same, right? It's so darn slow. I'm sure Adobe hates that. Uh, listen, I'm sure they didn't like when I, a couple few years ago now, created the hashtag rewrite Lightroom. I'm sure that wasn't appreciated, but it's been, it's been years now. Why is it not faster? I, because I, it's one of those things where, same thing with On One. So On One has a thing where, I, and I know this because I just recorded a bunch of videos with Photo Raw, uh, their newest version. And if you take multiple layers of different resolutions and you do some sort of masking, if you want to go edit, you know, add some effects to it, if you, the first thing you have to do is crop. You actually have to crop in by like a pixel basically to resize all of the layers. The reason why I say this is because it's a fundamental architectural limitation that will be fixed in a future version but the same thing with Lightroom. That's my point is that it's becomes this big kind of unwieldy beast that to make any fundamental changes to the architecture probably is a monumental thing that they probably have been working on for years. 
But they have billions. They make billions of dollars. I'm paying 50 bucks a month. You are too, yeah. Adobe, for Creative Cloud. When you've got billions of dollars and you're expanding like crazy, why can't they throw money and developers at this, right? You know, uh, software uh, programmers to get this done all these years later. Why? I don't understand why. I mean, why? If Adobe can't do it, there's no hope for anyone else. And in the meantime, all these other programs have come out, which are eating at their pie. But I don't know. As far as the solution goes, what could people do computer-wise? They could add more RAM. Yes. That's the first thing. You know, here's let's just go back a little bit. Back in the day, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when you actually bought software in a box, right there on the box, it said system requirements. Now, I know they still list that stuff, but no one looks at that anymore. You used to actually look at the box and go, okay, I'm not running yeah, Windows XP yeah. or OS 9. So I can't do that. So and I don't have a you know a 386 whatever processor or you know a Pentium 4 whatever. Now people just like you were saying, just assume it's gonna work and it's gonna work great. Cause why not? My right. iPhone works great, my Android works great, everything just works. And people forget that you need to maybe throw more RAM into your computer and do all these things to speed things up. You just can't expect it to be quick. But if you're gonna buy a 36 megapixel camera, a 46 megapixel camera, you're gonna be pushing huge files through it, things are going to slow down. Yeah. And so RAM is definitely one of those easy fixes, assuming you have a computer that supports upgrading RAM. I mean, eyes looking at Apple here. Um, iMac does now, you know, for a while has supported RAM, but you know, if you have even a remotely new MacBook Pro, you're stuck at 16 gigabytes of RAM. Same thing goes for um, the actual drive. So Solid state drives have the prices have dropped so dramatically. You can get a 500 gig drive for a couple hundred bucks, like an SSD, the probably the fastest read write speeds you can get. So these things do help. Um, and it's a good point, Sharky. Like, you know, you don't necessarily have to go out and buy a new computer, but at the very least, I, I think it is unfair to hold uh, a software developer accountable if the software is running sluggishly. That's not to say that if it's, if the software is buggy or the, what I would consider core infrastructure is, is slow. Meaning um, with Lightroom, if I had an older computer and I take a slider, develop slider and it, and I drag and there's like latency there, that's a problem with, uh, you know, on a 40 megapixel uh, file, that's a problem with my computer where I do have a problem with, the software developer is when I switch for, I hit say D for develop, you know, or L for library. If I'm just switching modules and I can count on my hand in seconds, how long it takes for that, the user interface to change. That is shoddy programming. And that's Lightroom, Lightroom, Lightroom. Just going from photo to photo in Lightroom is an exercise in frustration. So I always say, and this, and this is photo journalists have been using the program, um, photo mechanic yep. for years and it just lightning speed and i'm not paid by photo mechanic no one's paying me here it, it's 150 dollars, and it sucks that people even have to spend the money to do what they should be able to do in lightroom there should be a culling module in lightroom you should be able to tear through photos at lightning speed in lightroom Yep. Or they should they could put out a program tomorrow to let you do that to, to compete with Photo Mechanic that could be free. Here you go. You guys are paying for Lightroom. Here's a calling module. So what I do is like when I shoot a football game, like this coming Friday, I'm going to shoot a football game. I might shoot, let's say, a thousand frames. Yep. Let's just say I can get through those in 10 minutes 
tops and make my selects, color code them and whatever in Photo Mechanic. Now, if I were to do that in Lightroom, easily that's a couple hours because just going from photo to photo and having it render, and we're not talking full one-to-one you know, smart preview renders and all that kind of stuff, just being able to see what you shot enough to be able to decide whether or not you're going to select it is painful in Lightroom. It just is. So I call in Photo Mechanic. That takes about 10 minutes color code it, whatever, bring it into Lightroom, and then edit maybe 20 or 30 photos. And that's what I do. I think a lot of uh, wedding shooters are doing that now, obviously sports shooters, photojournalists. If you're doing everything in Lightroom, time is money, especially let's say you're a wedding photographer. You don't have time to go through 2000 images from a wedding and take five hours to do that. Who's got that kind of time? Right. And and I think it's interesting, like just looking at um, what software is available today and where, you know, who the winners are going to be. You're starting to see this interesting kind of democratization. All of a sudden now you're starting to see companies have their own, building their own raw processing engines. And everyone has kind of, every app has the same basic functionality. Everyone has kind of tone correction, brightness, contrast, saturation, some sort of structure, you know, dehaze, vignetting, sharpening, cross uh, split toning, where I think you start to see, um, you're going to start to see kind of winners from losers is one thing, two things. One, one you said earlier, the kind of the enjoyment, like you're talking about Luminar, how enjoyable is it? Cause if the experience of using the app causes frustration, it makes you not want to use the app, but then two, how fast does it let you get to your photos to your point here? And, and um, uh, I, I know guys who work who uh, at, um, uh, photo mechanic, you know, at, uh, um, was it eight bits? No, no, that's a, it's, um, who makes photo mechanic camera bits, camera bits. Thank you. In Portland, you know, I love that they are, you're right for photojournalists. They're, they're kind of like, that's, that's, they've been there forever. That's their, their, their niche, but it kills me that you have to like juggle from one app to another. I mean, people want to have it all in one, which is also why you see a lot of these suites like on one has their kind of suite. Um, Mac fun has a suite. They've got their HDR and luminar. So I think the winners will be the ones that can come to the table and give users, I I'd say the best of everything and where these smaller companies who are more, more flexible, more agile than Adobe is to make rapid changes. I think that's what we're going to start to see. Well, and they're newer programs too. So they started developing for, you know, a 64 bit architecture and all that in the last few years. Whereas Lightroom's got this bloated, in my opinion, again, code base that they have to deal with and they have to, they have to rewrite it from scratch. Now I hear through the grapevine that that's what they're doing and that's why it's taken so long. I heard that too. And about every year I keep saying, I think this is going to be the year that we're going to see new Lightroom and it doesn't happen. We're almost to the end of 2017. So I don't know, but we should probably move on. We've been doing what about twenty minutes or so on this topic. Yeah, what do you totally. do? is there anything else you want to add to it? Or no, I think I just think that it's important for end users who are going to invest in a new. Especially, we have this kind of. I think we're coming to that season of in the autumn, new uh, cameras. You know, just before uh, the Christmas and, and holiday times. If you're going to invest, make sure that you don't just think about the camera and those specs, but think about the, the the second half of that kind of digital photo life cycle. And that's the getting it to your computer and the performance of that. And it's not always necessarily the problem that it's, it's shoddy code by the application you're using. It might just be the computer that you're running. So yeah, that's just, that's kind of the point I wanted to make there. All right. So what's the next topic you want to tackle now? 
here on episode two. I, I was sitting the other day. Um, actually, this is every day, but the other day, this is when the topic came to mind. Was I was in Instagram, and I realized just how bored I was at in Instagram. I wasn't bored of Instagram. I was just bored of all the photos. And the sad thing is, is that these aren't like crappy photos. They're stunning, beautiful photos. But it's kind of like I just was mindless. Okay, another Milky Way shot. Okay, another beautiful sunset over a canyon. You know, another uh, time lapse, another lightning photo. You know, it just, it, I feel like I'm on the, on, the, on the consuming side of photography. I feel like it's becoming harder and harder to catch my attention. Well, it's not just that, too. Here's another angle to this. Not only is there image overload and we see all these great things, we see like daily, it seems, I see beautiful photos shot at Bryce Canyon in Utah, etc. I see such stunning imagery that I feel like I don't even need to go there. And what am I going to bring to the table if I go shoot? You know, it's like with that darn eclipse that you shot. It's like everyone's getting basically the same photo. No, I do, but I, I see. I disagree with that completely. I'm, I nothing, and that's. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up because that's, I guess, the point for me. Seeing the photos is becoming just. It's becoming rote. That would never preclude me. Like I want to go to Bryce. I want to go to the Grand Canyon or wherever. I think that in the whole grand universe of photography, um, the thing that's going to save a lot of people is having to go out and go and just go create photos and, and still share the, the thing is that like, I'll still share my photos, but I don't find myself being excited as nearly as excited as I used to be about the consumption of it. I used to love it. I used to derive inspiration from it, but it's just becoming so boring. And maybe you follow too many people. Um, (laughs) well, I, I think I follow the right people. I think, I mean, there's God, there's the, but that's the other thing. There's a trillion people, how many people, and, and maybe it's just the fact of, of removing myself from even consuming and just kind of putting myself in situations that are a bit more engaging, like these conversations that we have here. For me, I don't know if other people kind of can relate to this, but it's just, it's like, how many sunset photos do I need to see? It's not just you, you know, I talk to a lot of photographers. We've got a rather large audience with the Petapixel Photography Podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's image overload. The barrier to entry to photography is so low now. I mean, think about it. Back in the day, you spent, I don't know, hundreds of dollars or whatever on a camera and lenses, whatever. Then you had your film cost, etc. So it took a good chunk of change to get into photography. Now, your iPhone or your Android has it. You don't even need an actual camera. So a lot of what we're seeing are photos taken with smartphones and you can do an amazing job with them. So there is just so many images created. I think like on a daily basis, enough images are are created than were created in like the first hundred years of photography or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, so it's image overload. So everyone is a photographer these days. And so you're seeing a lot of photography and you're seeing a lot of great photography. The, the technical aspects have largely been taken care of exposure and mm-hmm. everything. It, unless you're, you know, in crazy lighting situations, it's easier to get a properly exposed photo these days. And people are like, wow, you know, I'm a photographer now. I'm going to shoot more. And so it's encouraging, which is great. We encourage that. But we're seeing more and more photos. You don't have to be as skilled as a photographer as you were in the past to get great images. And we're seeing a lot of it. Yeah. And the the thing is that online, at least, that the, the currency that we trade in online is is with, with eyeballs, with like, you know, s- precious seconds of attention span. 
And when I find myself with this, you know, saying that I'm just getting bored, instead what I'm doing is I, I find myself seeking out photographers who put out meaningful work, meaning there's something, it's not just a beautiful sunset shot or, a, you know, another Northern Lights photo in Iceland or some, you know, the Dolomites who, I mean, <sighs> great. It's all good. What I'm looking for are like photographers who are actually creating a message with with their work like even like ben von wong who i i have my own kind of thoughts on some of how he has done stuff you know kind of clickbaity stuff which i'm not a big fan of however one thing that you can't take away from him is the 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 fact just everything he does there's a there's a purpose to it and it, you you know yes it's a it's a visual onslaught right it's an armada of stuff for your eyes um, you know, it's lit beautifully. It might have some compositing stuff done to it. Great concept, great execution, yeah. great cause. And there you go. Concept, concept. That's exactly the word. Great concept. There's no concept to a sunset. I'm sorry. I don't care where you are. What concept is there? It's going to happen regardless if you're there or not. Exactly. And it doesn't matter. Like, of course, I, I will always photograph a sunset if I have the opportunity and, you know, in a nice location, of course, don't get me wrong. But I think there comes a point as a photographer where you kind of have to eventually elevate, force yourself to to elevate and evolve into maybe your yield goes down. Maybe you're not going to get, you know, 5,000 beautiful photos. Maybe you're only going to walk away with 100 really impactful photos. But that's kind of what I find myself, Sharky. Like, I don't, and it's like, what that means is I find myself going less in like Instagram and Twitter and stuff. And I'm returning back more towards some of the photo blogs like Petapixel, sometimes F Stoppers, even though that's another show. We could talk about my thoughts on them. But seeing what, you know, what they have to, you know, like when there was this one photographer, and while you're talking, I'll bring it, I'm going to look for it who just over the weekend, I think, was highlighted. He worked with these terminal, I don't know if they're terminally ill, but they have some serious um, medical conditions. And he got these really nice DC kind of from the Justice League, um, these costumes made for them, and he photographed them and stylized and everything. And it's just really awesome. Josh Rossi, I think. Yeah, he does He does a lot of that stuff, really con- conceptual, heavy on the editing, beautiful photos. You know, this goes back to the glut of photos that we have these days. Back when you were shooting film, you had 36 exposures. You weren't doing the spray and pray technique. You weren't shooting 5,000 frames, hoping for one or two or maybe 10 great photos. So it was more slowed down. It was more considered. You put more thought into photography. Now it's more thoughtless photography. And I know it's not true of everybody, but it's just so easy to go burn two, 300 frames because why not? And then you have to go suffer in Lightroom later. But, you know, so why, why, why are you being a masochist and doing that to yourself? You know, but so slowing down. That's what I lo- liked about being loved about being a photojournalist, which is what I did, you know, pre Petapixel and everything and doing this podcast is it was photography with a purpose. You know, in five years and three months there at my last newspaper, I did over 1500 assignments. So that's you're meeting a lot of people. You're shooting a lot of different things. There's a lot of different, you know, data points. There's more variety. And, but that's also what I like about sports is right. I'm not a big sports fan, but I like the stories behind sports. Sure. The, the achievement. And then and that's what I like about shooting sports is that it's going to be something different. It's not going to, you know, anyone can go to Bryce Canyon and it's going to be roughly the same types of photos. That thing, the place hasn't changed or it hasn't changed much in millions of years. Right. Whereas and with sports, it's going to be different every single darn time. Absolutely. And the, the, that's the thing, like 
you can argue, well, you know, it's the human element, but then what that yields is going to Bryce and just having that person in the distance with their arms out in the V, you know, like, you, you know, how many do you things do you see? Why are you even doing it? What does that even mean yeah. that your arms are out? Like, I don't understand that. It just, but it if t- it makes you happy, shoot it, whatever makes you happy. Right. Well, there, there's, the, there's, there's, you run the risk of, of getting bored with photography. I said this just last episode of my show, I believe, you know, there's a lot of times where I don't go shoot because I'm like, well, I really don't, I don't feel inspired to go shoot anything. What am I going to shoot today? Go shoot a flower or something. It's like, you know, you need to have a photo project or something to motivate you. Those 365 day projects, even if you might not shoot every day, at least gets you shooting. That's why you buy a camera in the first place is to do some photography. Yeah. Yes, I get that. But, you know, the whole shoot, just whatever makes you happy. But at some point, you're going to lose people like me, because if you just keep shooting what makes you happy, I'm going to get bored of you. And because it's I mean, unless what I want to see is I want to be inspired. That's when I consume. I consume to be inspired. And consuming, meaning I go on Instagram or I want to go online when I'm not actually creating, I want to consume and I want that consumption to feed my inspiration. I want, I want it to, and I'm sorry, but if you, if, if shooting sunsets over and over and sharing those makes you happy, eventually I'm just going to get bored of it. And I'll know you're a great sunset photographer or you're a great landscape photographer. That's really great. But what I'm looking for are people who challenge themselves because that instinctively makes me want to challenge myself and 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 up my game and, and that's kind of what that reciprocity is what i think is what the 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 conclusion the logical conclusion is that i'm getting at from when i said how i just got bored with instagram like i, I want to find people and things that 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 really kind of like oh man that that's like it sounds like what you want is a curated collection of photos by someone who knows good photography when they see it. Is that out there? I mean, there's 500 PX, but that's not really, well, I guess part of that's curated, right? There's they're like editor's picks, but 500 PX, I think, has a lot of great photos. It's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of changed from what it used to be. Well, but Instagram is not necessarily where you're going to go for great photography, necessarily. 500 PX, I think, raises the bar a little bit more. People, at least in the beginning, tended to put their good stuff there. It wasn't like Flickr where you threw up all 300 photos that you shot, right? You put up your two or three best because you didn't want people to comment saying, this photo sucks. Right, but I, uh, it's not just about the photos, though. I also want to know about the story behind it. So it's not just like most of the times when I see on 500 PX or, or, on, or on Instagram and Honestly, I really don't even go to 500px anymore. Instagram is really the only photo sharing site, admittedly, I go to. But it's not even sometimes the photographer's fault. It's the the kind of limitations of Instagram itself. It's not meant to be this kind of big storybook style thing. It's meant to be quick, just like share, boom, shoot, you know. And and so that's another interesting way to look at it. Is like that's why I'm, I find myself going back to websites that aren't confined to a square photo with best these SEO rules like oh you should only have like between 150 and 200 characters you know two to three sentences max and you know three or four hashtags like it becomes a formulaic whereas if you go to a photo blog for example or you just follow a photographer they admire and they actually maintain their blog you can get more out of it i feel like it's more nourishing and not as many empty calories i understand what you're saying and there's a lot of people out there that are doing really inspiring things and I think we should bring those people more to the, towards the forefront in, in future episodes. We should do that because, you know, if you've seen a lot of sameness, 
you might shoot that same kind of stuff. So you need to stretch, right? You're not going to grow as a photographer or anything else unless you do things that you don't know how to do. At least try and, and figure things out and expand. Because if you're doing the same thing over and over again, you run the risk of getting bored and you're doing the same photos. Right. Exactly. You've already done that. It's like, how many times can you shoot that sunset? It looks the same. Put something in in the foreground. Put somebody with their arms up, you know, like triumphantly or something. All right, I've done. I've made that photo now. I don't need to do that again. Correct. Yes. Right? How many times do you shoot the same thing? I see it all over the people shooting the same stuff over and over again. That makes them happy. That's great. But I don't know. How fulfilled can you feel as a photographer shooting that stuff over yeah. and over again? Why are you? I mean genuine i'm not it's not meant to be um condescending or patronizing but like why well people get stuck in a rut they go you go with what you know a lot of times you know it's like if you make beef stroganoff really well that you tend to make that for dinner right i guess you know so you you go with what you know what and what works for you but there's the that's i think the hallmark of an artist is to revel in the challenge and but not everybody being, who's a photographer wants to be an artist, though, or, or cares about the art of it. That's They're true. just enjoying taking pictures. And it's like, come here, Fluffy. You know, they want to take more pictures of their cats and they want it to look nice and, and they want their friends. You know, they, a lot of people do it for likes. I feature a lot of people on my Instagram account, which is Lens Shark, by the way, almost like 21.7 thousand people or something. It's a lot of people. And anytime I, I post a picture um, that has a female in it, not that I've shot, like let's say Manny Ortiz uh, photographs his wife, Diana. Yep. And, you know, that gets like 800 likes. I throw up a photo, I thought a pretty nice photo that I shot at the rotunda of the Idaho uh, State Capitol the other day. And I thought it was a nice looking photo. Got like 168 likes. Now, I don't care how many likes it gets, that's not important to me. But it's like a nice looking photo doesn't get many likes. And I think for a lot of people that might be discouraging. It's like, well, why am I shooting that? Yeah. No and, one, no one, clearly no one cared. Yeah. And that, that, that's an entirely different, very tragic, uh, byproduct of social media and digital photography, you know, is that just kind of tying the, the worth or the merits of a photo to, you know, how, whether or not a lot of people respond or engage to it is it's, it's a really, that's a tough thing. And a show in and of itself, I would say. Yeah. That'd be a great topic for another episode for sure. Sure. Let's, let's get it. Let's earmark it. We'll do that. Cool. All right. So what about this topic? Are you done with it? Yeah. Let's put it in the can. I'm done. All right. Let's get to gear. What do you got? Okay. So this is our, you know, what are we calling, are we calling this? Something? What uh, gear, my gear shelf, or what's on your shelf? What's on, what's your, on shelf? your shelf, Brian? <laughs> so what's on my shelf is actually not on my shelf at all. It's on my desk. It's kind of like right here. I just got these. Um, it's uh, these are little pallets by pallet gear. So what it is, is you have this, I don't I forgot what this is called. It's like a hub, like a core module. And it's got a US mini USB on the back and a, and an LCD display. And what, what you can do is uh, there are three primary kind of modules. Is it LCD or is it an OL- OLED? Looks like LCD. Okay. It, it, like it, it'll change based on the application. So like uh, it's contextual. It is contextual. And so like if I don't know if you caught that before, but it had a little Lightroom icon. And so three key modules. There's a slider here. There is a kind of like a dial with a button. Here, listen. It's a nice click. Fascinating. The audience is like, wow. Yeah, right. right? And then a clicks. I heard clicks. And here's a button. Just a a regular button. Button sound. What's that sound like? (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's buttons and dials that you what you map those to different functions it, it, in Lightroom or whatever program you're using. Exactly, they're they're magnetic on all sides, and so what you can do is arrange them in whatever configuration you want. And um, there is a like a driver software that you install, like a companion app that you install on your Mac or Windows. And as you you connect different buttons and sliders, it appears in real time. And let's say you're in Lightroom, you can create different profiles. So um, and each profile can bind specific functions to the sliders, to the buttons. So let's say it's not just like Lightroom, like it's not just a Lightroom uh, profile. There can be a Lightroom browse profile. So the the sliders and the knobs and everything take on one set of features. But then if you switch to develop, there's a de- you can have a develop profile with different sliders. And the nice thing is, is that the sliders are pretty responsive. So let's say you bind your slider to exposure or brightness. For me, the problem that I have always had with editing in Lightroom, and I use a, a Wacom Intuos Pro um, pen tablet, is that I have to look at the pen cursor going to the to this actual digital you know slider in Lightroom and make sure that I grab it correctly. You know, you know, put the pen down and drag left and right. And a lot of times, I don't know if you get this, Sharky, but like when I lift the pen up, sometimes it, there's a little creep where the slider jumps a little bit. Um, so and all this takes time too. Yeah fiddling around with knobs and dials on your screen. Yeah, whereas if they're if you have these physical tactile things, as long as you remember that okay, and I'm in this mode, um this slider does brightness, I just I don't have to look. I just move it and I can focus on looking at the photo itself. And so these okay, so they're all connected via magnets. So it's like modular basically. So you got these different they're all basically squares. Some of them are are they all basically the same size? I know the slider looked like it was it was longer. Yeah, the sl- is it like you know like a square would be like one U and then the other yes. thing would be like a two U kind of thing. Yeah, so the slider would be the the dials and the buttons are a square, and then okay. the slider is a rectangle. It's two squares put together. Okay, so it's like Legos for adults who yeah. do Lightroom and such. Yeah, I think that's a good and interesting analogy. Now I had something like this. It wasn't modular, but it was about ten or so years ago. And I think it was like, it was called like the shuttle. It wasn't like the space shuttle. It was like shuttle something, jog shuttle. I don't know. It was like a jog shuttle kind of wheel. You know what I'm talking about? I think so. And so it was gray and it was USB. I can't remember who made it. It was like contour something design, something like that. And they had a, di- a couple different kinds. And so you could map different buttons to different functions in various programs. Back then, I think it was, this was pre-Lightroom. So it was like Photoshop or whatever. Um, or, you know, I actually used it in like Final Cut Pro and in, and in Premiere. So you could use the jog shuttle wheel and, and such. So this takes it a whole step further by being able to map different functions to different buttons and sliders. So you're not wasting time going up in the program, dragging it. You just, as long as you, you know, maybe look down at it, make sure you're grabbing the right thing and then just adjust from there. This is how, you know, like professional consoles, like people that have like, we have, we've got mixers, there's buttons and sliders for everything. Right. And so a lot of, you know, like in the, in the motion picture industry, a lot of the, the, the color grading they do, they've got these ginormous expensive boards with all these buttons and sliders for different color wheels and, and such. And so it's basically like that, but slimmed down. So how much is this thing? How much does it go they, for? They range based so that they have three different, I guess, packages. Uh, I think the core one is, I can look it up. It's some like hundred and some odd dollars. The, the one I have is the expert kit um, and it's palettegear.com is the website. So the starter kit is $200 and that comes with the, they all come with the, the, the LCD brain thing. And then the hub, the hub, I guess. And that comes with two buttons, one dial and one slider. And that's 200. And I've got the expert kit, which is 
$300, so $100 more than that. And that comes with two sliders and basically then there's the professional kit, which is 500 and that comes with even more. So you start with whatever kit you want and then you can buy individual modules. Uh, so let's say you just want an extra slider and that, so you don't have to spend it for another kit. You just buy the slider module. That's pretty cool because there's a new product out. I think it's fairly new. It's called Loop Deck. Yes. And I, I and that, that's like hundreds of dollars, but it's like a it's like almost like a ginormous kind of key. Ginormous is the word of the day. This big keyboard kind of like console kind of thing that you need room for in the desk. So with this pallet gear stuff, you just put it wherever and it's modular. You can configure it in different patterns, like an L shape or whatever yep. to work around what you're doing at your workstation, your computer, whatever. Yeah. And I think the loop deck, if I remember correctly, isn't that the one that's kind of like bounds more or less to Lightroom? Like I think it has like individual slider controls. If we're talking about the same, it might be. I'm not sure. It's fairly new. Okay. Yeah. It, was it a Kickstarter? Yeah, I think it might have been. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the the thing I do like about this is that it's um basically you can use it for any any application you want. Meaning you can have a profile for Final Cut or for Premiere, for Lightroom, for Photoshop. You just need to remember what all that stuff does. Right. Yeah. So you know, but, get uh, out your Dymo labeler. No, no, no. Because as you um <laughs> as you touch one of the things, a little um pop up on your display shows up telling you what it is. Well, but you might grab a knob and start turning it and it's like, all right, now you need to turn that back. I didn't mean to touch that knob. Yeah. <laughs> so you're la- so label them maybe. Well, you can. <laughs> you can. And it just gets <laughs> out of control and you have like 10,000 labels on each thing. Yeah. All right. You got anything else to say about this palette gear stuff? Palletgear.com, right? Palletgear.com. All right. I'm going to make mine fairly brief because there's not much I can really say about it. The gear on my shelf is actually not on my shelf. It's hanging up here in my home office. And that is, you know, photographic backdrops, right? So you can go to Joanne's Fabrics or Michael's or whatever and get various fabrics fairly cheaply and cut them or whatever. But, you know, they're not necessarily the most ideal things for photography. Okay. So there's a lot of people out there that make photographic backdrops that are paper. There's muslins, etc. And a lot of them are hand painted. Jeremy Cowart recently, I don't know, we did a story on, on Petapixel. I saw it on Instagram. I, I, I gave it over to, uh, to Michael on Petapixel. Jeremy Cowart is an, not just a great photographer, but a great artist. On his iPad Pro, he, he drew a backdrop because he left it behind. He couldn't find it, his actual backdrop. He didn't know where he put it, even though it's huge. And he drew it and then printed it out on his Canon printer and hung it. And it looked great. So if you've got great, unbelievable talent and a $5,000 printer, you can do what Jeremy Cowart did. But for the rest of us, we have to buy backdrops and it might be a hundred dollar paper backdrop, you know, just regular um, seamless. Or you can buy photographic backdrops that are, you know, painted, etc. And a lot of them are really expensive. They're like, what, a thousand bucks or so. OK, you know, and, and you guys all know the, the big name out there and, you know, they're custom. They're going to be expensive. They're about a thousand bucks. Right. So if you want to save some money. Yeah. Now, you wouldn't normally think of Serbia as a hot spot for photography, let alone photographic backdrops. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Sharky? But um, there's this great guy. He loves photography. He's a doctor. He's a research physician. and But he loves photography, right? So he doesn't do photography full-time. But he has a company called Gravity Backdrops. And they're not paying me to say this again. Because, you know... Pe- you talk about we talk about gear and everyone's like they're getting paid to say you know to talk about pallet gear or whatever. I, we wish I, we I, wish people were giving us money for all this I all the stuff we mentioned. <laughs> yeah, you know they're getting all these people are getting free mentions and we pay for this stuff. So a lot of cynical and oh, and you see that? Go read my iTunes reviews. His shows nothing but ninety percent ads. 
Not true. One or two ads an episode, but they somehow think if I mention gear, that must be a paid ad. That's like four people out there that complain about that. So everyone else, they get it. And I mentioned at the top of the show what the ads are and what they're what are not. And we're going to do that. Eventually, when we have ads on this show, we're going to mention that. Sure. You have to be transparent about what's an ad and what's not. You see a lot of posts on Instagram. But Sharky. And what? Gravity backdrops. That's what I'm getting to. <laughs> you went on for like 50 minutes about, about these goofy little <laughs> magnetic sliders and such that you bought. And I'm trying to educate our audience here about stuff. Jeez. All right. All right. We're good. Oh, man. I tell you. Tell me about so, the ads again. I'm done with that topic. <laughs> I'm shunning that just because you want to hear about it. Anyways, back to gravity backdrops. For the price of one of that fancy brand that you're going to get in New York City and wait months for, and they're great quality, you're going to, you can get three from gravity backdrops because, because Serbia. I mean, Wait, who, I don't. I, I genuinely don't know what company you're talking about. Gravitybackdrops.com. No, 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 no. Oh, so Oliphant. <laughs> who? Oliphant. I never heard of them. How, how is that possible? I because I don't. I don't do studio stuff. I never. I don't have any muslins or any backdrops. So I, if it's out, you of don't my, read photography magazines or. If I see something about backdrops or or studio lights, I I zone out. I could care less about it. Wow. All right. Yeah. So it's up to me, guys, to talk about studio stuff. I don't even do a lot of it. But, don't come to me you know, for it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I was a photojournalist. You have to be proficient enough in a bunch of areas. And one of that is, you know, you got to be able to shoot business headshots and, and such for features. And so, okay. So the 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 big brand out there is Oliphant. I think okay. name's Sarah Oliphant. And um, Peter Hurley recently did an interview with her. We had that on Petapixel. It's a great watch. It I think it's about a half hour or so. But you know, if you have a thousand dollars, you can buy one of those, and they're fine. They're great. You'll be so happy with it. But for that thousand bucks, you can get three from Gravity Backdrops, right? Because they're in Serbia, right? And so I guess the, you know the cost of living is different and whatever, and they're able somehow <laughs> to do it cheaper. I don't know. I don't know how they do it, but they're different. What? Hey, New York's expensive. Yeah, Serbia. You know, you're Midtown Manhattan. Serbia is Serbia. I mean, the Balkan states and such. I don't know. I guess they're able to do it more cheaply. The the bottom line here is you could either get one expensive thousand dollar backdrop from whoever, or you could get three. You know, you could get gray, you could get a rust color, you get green, whatever. And they've got a little bit of a, a backlog. You know, these are custom painted and they're cranking these things out and they're beautiful unbelievable backdrops. Lindsay Adler uses You know Lindsay Adler, right? I do. She's a fellow right. Syracuse alum. There you go. So she's used a gravity backdrops. There's a lot of a lot of big names out there have discovered their backdrops because they're beautiful. And why spend the money? Why spend a thousand bucks when you can spend two, three hundred bucks and get one or spend a thousand and get three? Take the money that you save and put it towards a, you know, a computer upgrade. Exactly. That's what you need to do. Right. <laughs> So if you're doing, uh, I don't do a lot of studio stuff, but in the corner of my room here, I've got one of my gravity backdrops hung up. It's kind of like a, a really nice modeled kind of gray. And uh, one of my sponsors over on the Petapixel Photography Podcast is Kupo Grip Gear. And before they even sponsored my show, I bought a couple dozen easily Kupo grip arms and and connectors and all kinds. I love these Kupoles. They go, that should be my pick. That should have been my pick this week. Uh, these poles that go, they're tension poles and they go from floor to ceiling or wall to wall, etc. So I've got two of those going from floor to ceiling and then one going across and then I've got the backdrop 
from gravity backdrops clamped on there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a number of different ways you can mount backdrops. That's the way I chose to do it. It's a semi-permanent installation. If I need to move it, I can. If I need to drop that down and put up one of my other gravity backdrops up there, I can do that. Um, so there you go. I guess my pick this week are is Kupo Grip Gear as well as Gravity Backdrops. Now, I don't have a, a code or anything for Gravity Backdrops, but if you want to get 10% off of... And I swear they're not sponsoring the show. That's true. They sponsor my other show. It is true. We're not making... Brian and I are not making anything on this. That's true. But... um. You can get 10% off at kupogrip.com with the code Petapixel. So P-E-T-A-P-I-X-E-L, you can get 10% off. And uh, actually, go to to lensshark.com slash deals because you can use that code other places as well. So save some money. We like to save our audience money. We like to talk about expensive things, and we like to save you some money as well. That's right. Why not? Photography is expensive. Yes, it is. So there you go. There's my that's, That's what's on my shelf, even though it's not on my shelf. Neither of those. All good. They're not even close to my shelf. It's not on a shelf. It's it's hanging. Exactly. That's why I said. Yeah. It's not near my shelf. Yeah. Right. So there. maybe we need to reevaluate the title of this segment. <laughs> no, let's just keep it. <laughs> All right. Fine. <laughs> All right, Sharky. So um, I'd say that that's uh, that's a wrap for episode two of absolutely uh, the No Name Photo Show. Uh, to everyone listening, thank you so much for making it with us here. Uh, by all means, please first follow us on, we're on social media everywhere at No Name Photo Show and subscribe uh, to the show. We are in iTunes, we're in Google Play, we are, we have a Libsyn feed, we have everything, right, Sharky? Exactly. And let us know what you think. Go ahead and, and, and review our show on iTunes. You can be scathing if you want to. Doesn't matter. Be genuine, though. Don't just be a jerk just for jerk's sake. That's right. No, we have <laughs> enough trolls. Don't feed the trolls. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys, we will uh, we will see you episode three. See you later. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. How about we do this again next episode? Yeah, let's do that. Mm